Hey, God Watch people. It's Phil Gothi here again with the God Watch podcast. Today, we're fortunate enough to bring you a story from a woman named Rebecca Lemke. She is a fellow podcaster and hosts a show called The Scarlet Virgin. And she tackles the ideas of spiritual purity and what that was like growing up and how maybe some of those things are a little unhealthy for us. Um, Not saying that purity is not important, but I think there are certain things that she brings up that there are good ways and things that are somewhat destructive. So sit back, listen, and I hope you enjoy Rebecca Lemke. Hey, Rebecca, thanks for being with us today. How are you? Good, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. Hey, it's it's wonderful to finally get to talk to you. I know that we have had times, you know, in some of the same forums we belong to where we've spent some time together communicating on there, but never quite to the in-depth of what I hope we're going to do today. Before we get started, though, can you tell me just a little bit about you? Where do you come from? What's your background? Things like that. I grew up in a tiny town in northwest Oklahoma. And I grew up in a homeschool group um, from basically first grade until I kind of got done with school at about 15 and a half. And then I went to college somewhere in between finishing high school and going to college. I met my husband, and we dated for a year, and then we got engaged, and we were engaged for a year, and then we got married. And then about three months in, we got pregnant with our son. I gave birth. And I started my blog about four months after he was born. It's just everything that I've done since then has kind of came out of the blog. So I started the blog, and then we moved domains, and then we moved domains again. And then last year, I decided that I was going to write a book. And it was because one of my friends read a little bit of something I had written and said, hey, I think you need to actually go ahead and write a book on this because I think that would be really good. So I wrote my first book um, this past year and published it at the beginning of this month, and that's been pretty interesting. But yeah, I, I'm just a Christian housewife. I'm 21, and I have a two-year-old and husband. That's that's crazy, you know, being 21 years old and already moving and shaking and, and hustling. So, so you and your husband only dated for a year before you got married. So we we did it for a year and then we were engaged for a year. Okay. We actually knew each other for four years before we got married. But see, two of them so, we weren't. Yeah, I was gonna say that's that's great then because see I have like oh, yeah. my, with my wife we dated for three years before we even started talking about being engaged <laughs> and she informed me that that was far too long. So oh. it's it's kind of it's kind of neat that uh, you know that you guys knew each other ahead of time and because that's such a big commitment. What is your blog? So you had your blog. It was going. What kind of stuff did you have on there? Was it just about being a 20-year-old girl or being married? Is it kids? Is it all everything? It was a little bit of everything. Initially, I started it out because I had postpartum depression and NICU PTSD. When I was pregnant with my son, we had a really, really rough pregnancy. We got all sorts of medical issues that kind of came into play. And after we went home from the hospital, we ended up having to go back with my son, and he was in the NICU for a couple days, um, but I didn't sleep at all while he was there, really. So it was really traumatic for my husband and I because we, we thought we were home free. We'd already taken home the baby. There wasn't supposed to be anything else. 
come up, and we took him home, and we had to take him back. And after that, he really, he was a really, really quiet kid um, until that happened. And since then, he's been very clingy at times and things like that. And and we've had issues bonding and things like that. So at at the, like, four-month mark, I decided to start the blog basically in the middle of the night because I... I needed an outlet because um, I felt really depressed and I wasn't sleeping because I had a newborn and all that stuff. So I created the blog and it was basically um, kind of a parenting type thing and yeah. because I was into more natural parenting stuff. So I breastfed, I I wore him with like a baby sling and I, I did cloth diapers and things like that. So it was kind of in that vein, but there was also some Christian stuff and things like that. Um, as it grew, I actually got picked up by a competition that was a bunch of artists, and that ended up, I, the blog was secret until then, and then I got picked up by a, a competition, and I had my cover blown, basically, and I, I ended up winning the competition. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, crazy. That is crazy. And so, I mean, it, so it really just started as kind of this cathartic thing for you to release the emotions and everything that was going along with it. Yeah, and and as it went, I started kind of working through my childhood. Initially, it was just, you know, I'm a mom now. Oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? And, you know, getting through all the parenting stuff. But as it progressed, I started reflecting on my childhood a little bit. And from there, we went and got my own domain. And then we changed again because what happened was in the second domain that we had, initially I had started out as that new crunchy mom, and then I moved to that uh, newcrunchymom.com, and in that, I ended up finding out that a lot of crunchy parenting people are very anti-Christian, and so <laughs> that didn't work out too well for me, and I realized that I'd kind of misniched myself, and I didn't want to be in that niche anymore, so we went ahead and moved again, and we did RebeccaLemke.com, and from there, I was able to talk about whatever I wanted. So I talk a lot of, more about Christianity and a lot more about marriage and things like that, which I really enjoy a lot more than just parenting stuff. Yeah, you know, and, and I I don't know how you feel. I mean, because you guys are in the podcast world as well, and that's, so that's kind of how we met. But sometimes I feel yeah. in the in the podcast community that the Christian genre is kind of on the outskirts of that. So, I, I mean, I kind of get a feeling for what you're talking about with your yeah. blog. And, you know, that's why I've been I've been so happy to see, like, you guys and then Eric and a handful of, of other Christian podcasters out there. And we've been able to kind of get together and, and form our own little community where we can love on each other and, and do those things. And, you know, I think that it brings a whole lot more joy to it when we can share it with people that we know value that. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I've noticed that, too. I've only been in the podcasting community for a little while now myself. I've I've helped my husband market his podcast, but I noticed when I was, like, doing – when I started this podcast tour that a lot of the, quote, unquote, Christian podcasts are very unorthodox. (laughs) You know, Which has made me very nervous. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope that I don't fall into the total unorthodox. No, but, you no, know the no. yeah. There's a there's a, some people out there with some kind of crazy ideas, and you know the thing that I know one of the reasons why I really wanted to start was that there seemed to be a whole lot of church sermons, and you could yeah. you could really engage, you know, the Bible and God with your brain that direction but the actual emotion and the feeling that you get from 
hearing about people's lives and, and how they're living out Christ, um, I didn't feel was really greatly represented. And I felt fortunate that I've met a couple of people now who are kind of along the same lines and doing the same thing. And so now we can collaborate a little. So yeah, I think that's, I think that's super neat. So now you got your blog and your friends kind of saying, Hey, they liked your topic for, you know, and you, you got your book started. What, yeah. what topic did you start to discuss? I mean, what, what's your book based on? It's, it's about Christian purity culture. So okay. how I will describe it is there was two parts to the movement um, early on when it started. And one part was actually government funded. And it kind of merged with the Christian in a little, in a little bit of a sense because it kind of started out as Christian and then government funding came in. And so it kind of merged and got tangled up together. So you have one part of the movement that is basically just encouraging kids to wait until they're married to have sex. And then there's another part of the movement that kind of spun off and it's basically, it goes further. It goes to the point where crushes are emotional STDs and hand-holding or hugging before marriage is the, is the like sin equivalent of having sex before you're married and things like that. So it, it really took the time that I grew up and really took it to the next level. I, I fall into the second part. So that has consequences, those things of, you know, having a crush is sinful and holding hands is sinful, all, all that stuff, and being attracted to people is sinful. I was one of those people who had kind of problems coming out of that where I was scared of men because I had been told that they didn't have self-control and things like that. Um, and it really impacted my spiritual life as well. So I just kind of started working through things on paper. I showed some things to friends, and they were like, wow, this is really good. I've never thought about this. Since then, I've just had a lot of support with it, for the most part. There's been some people who are not quite as supportive. But I've I've found that a lot of circles, when you criticize purity culture, they go, oh, my goodness, you don't you don't advocate for purity. How dare you? How dare you give license to sin and stuff like that? And that's absolutely not what I mean. I waited until marriage to have sex, and I still, you know, obviously uh, advocate for that. But at the same time, I feel like the one part of the movement went too far. So that's basically the premise of the book. And, and it's the whole point of it is to let people know that, you know, those of us who grew up in it were not alone. Because there's a lot of people coming out of it who – came out of it and realized that there are some things that were bad, but they just completely leave Christianity altogether. Or they don't think you should wait to have sex until you're married and things like that. And so I'm kind of an anomaly coming out of it where I'm still Christian. I still believe that purity is important, but I think the way that we approach it is very, very important as well. And I think we need to evaluate what has happened in the past to see if we're still on the right track for future generations. Yeah, I think that that's... I think that that's pretty pretty amazing because you know I was not raised really in the church purity you know I, in the secular world purity and abstinence and those things are not greatly appreciated you know you don't yeah. you, the value is not placed on those like it should be you know in working with youth now I see so much value in telling these kids why it's so important to to wait and to abstain um, until they're married because there's a whole lot of emotional baggage that comes along with that connection as well as the sin, but, you know, stuff that you'll carry with you for the rest of your life. That connection that you had with somebody is something that's 
always going to be there. And, you oh, know, yeah. and there's no good way around it. <laughs> so Yeah, well, and that's something, too, is, you know, I I try to separate the the reasons into, like, two categories, the, the practical and the emotional and sexual and then the spiritual, because I think that that really helps. I think that it gets conflated a lot of the time. And so girls who were, like, assaulted when I was young, were told that they were damaged goods because they had some of the physical ramifications of, of having had sex, even though they didn't consent to it, like STDs and things like that. So I always try to separate them. But, yeah, I think the, the practical aspects of waiting are really, really important to teach kids because those are things that a lot of my peers didn't learn because they didn't have any kind of sex education. I'm the type that I think parents should do sex education, but... I have seen a lot of parents not do it. So I'm all for, you know, teaching kids about the practical aspects of waiting. Now, so is that is that fairly common in the homeschool? My my kids are still real young. I have two, one's four and one's five. And so I haven't had to have a talk with them yet. But, uh, <laughs> you know, and I was a child of public schools and we had sex ed and we had all of those things. In the homeschool realm, is it not as common that we ha- there is a traditional sex education? There's not, I mean, I can't speak for all homeschooling. There's some different homeschool groups that are, you know, are secular and things like that. But my experience was that we didn't have any, like, a group sex education of any type, which I'm thankful for because I probably wouldn't have done well with that. But (laughs) um, a lot of the parents were scared to teach us anything about sex because they thought that that would give us license to sin. And so they thought that talking about sex was going to encourage us to have sex. So some of them didn't teach us. Now, I've noticed that the people who come out of purity culture who actually do well, even even with all of the weird things that are incorrect, in my opinion, about it, the people who have sex education do so much better than the people who did not have sex education. And I think it's so interesting. I, I studied sociology in college, so that's one of the things that I'm like, man, <laughs> that's really crazy to me. So why do you think that is, though? Why do you think that they come out a little a little stronger, a little better if they've had that sex education? What, what's the difference there? I think it's just that they know how their body works and they know the physiology because I used to get upset that I would blush because I was taught that having a crush was sinful. So if I had any, like, physical ramifications of that, I would I would be really, really upset about it and I would beat myself up about it. But if you have sex education, then you know that that's just kind of a physiological response to being attracted to somebody. So they were able to separate that a little bit better than I was. Like, they were able to see what was just something they couldn't control and something they could control. So the difference between being attracted to somebody and lusting after somebody, when for those who didn't have sex education, those were often conflated. You know, somebody who has not been really in in the purity culture world, you know, I, I know... I know a little bit, but not enough to to consider myself an expert on anything in it. But in working with kids, you know, there's, I couldn't imagine, you know, kids have hormones. Kids have, you know, their bodies are changing. They're they're becoming adults and, and the feelings and the emotions that they have. I couldn't imagine telling a kid that something natural that has happened to them is this sinful thing that they need to be scared of or ashamed of. You know what I mean? It's it's, yeah. it's something that we can't change as people. <laughs> you know, as as people yeah. we've been this way since the beginning. So I I'm glad to see that you're really pushing forward and that you're you're doing something with it and trying to make make it more well known on how kids can 
can interact and how, you know, probably uh, do you deal with mainly chick, mainly children or young adults or do you deal with adults in teaching it as well? Well, I actually heard from a church in a different state, actually through the grapevine. So I think one of their members that um, the church got a hold of the book in my podcast and are now teaching a sex education slash purity course to their youth group from the book and the podcast. And I cried. <laughs> I was so excited about it. And, you know, I was not expecting that at all. When I wrote the book, I wrote it for a couple of friends that I grew up with. And they're young adults. So it, I guess it, you would say it would, it would be geared towards young adults. But I just, I wanted to write it for the parents, too. It hasn't really caught on as much with the parents. I know a few parents who have read it and absolutely loved it. But there's a certain degree to which nobody wants to admit that they're wrong about anything yeah and so it can be really really painful for them to even hear you know my story at all they they want to look away they don't they get mad and so I try not to push but I would like more parents to read it I suppose at this point though it's mostly people my age who are reading it yeah and I think that's that's good because I mean your age you know I'm I'm a little bit older than you are but that couple years out of high school range is seems to be where a lot of people's faith fall off, you know, and that's yeah. a that's a really dramatic time. And, you know, you look at even like your experience with your kids, you know, you recently married, new parents and all of these things. I know, you know, I didn't have my first kid until I was 30 years old. And, and even I was a little bit more established in, in those things than I would have been at 20. And it was one of the hardest things that I've ever gone through. I remember I called up one of my buddies because our oldest, he didn't sleep through the night until he was 18 months old. And he was up every three hours wanting to eat, wanting to scream, wanting to do what kids do. And it <laughs> takes it takes quite a a toll on the relationship, on your emotions, on all of those things, you know. And so it seems like that's a... I couldn't imagine going through all of that and having to deal with some major faith issues at the same time. So oh, I, yeah. I think it would have been it would have been hard. So so now you come up, you're you're taught this the what you call that second second round of purity culture. Um no touching, hugging, looking at each other the wrong way. Um <laughs> yeah. you know, it's it's uh is is that I mean, was that common amongst all of your peer group? For the most part, yeah. Um, we were actually a part of a couple of different homeschool groups and Christian groups and things like that, but it was pretty pervasive at the time. And I remember thinking that it didn't quite make sense at the time, but there wasn't really anything I could do about it. So for me, it was just a matter of, well, these people are in authority and they're older than me. Surely they know how this stuff works. And so I just trusted them for the most part. And that was a mistake. <laughs> yeah. Well, did you guys, I mean, as as young adults, did you guys ever get together and kind of talk about it in, in terms of, you know, that it might not be or it's kind of weird or you feel bad about it? I mean, did you ever discuss that with any of your peers? Or was it just kind of not not talked about? It was kind of, you know, I mean, sex is a hard conversation, especially with youth. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've talked about it one-on-one -on -one, um, through, like, Facebook and and uh, texting and things like that with a few of my peers. But we've never gotten together in a group 
and actually talked about it. I do have one friend that I've told them someday we're going to go get a root beer and talk about this. Other than that, I haven't really talked to them. I, I would love to, but it just hasn't come up since we've all grown older. A lot of them have apostatized from the faith, so they've left the faith because of what we went through, which is one of the big reasons why I talk about it. But so they, they wouldn't be on board at this point, I don't think. And, you know, the rest of us are still, I think, just kind of trying to figure things out. And, and that's why I'm so vocal is because in the alumni circles, it's more common in my experience to be an apostate than it is to still remain in the faith. So I'm one of those people that is like, I'll take the lashing to be the one visible in, in promoting the fact that you can still be Christian after spiritual abuse. Um, because a lot of the alumni circles have a lot of bullying towards Christians because of what they went through, you know, hurt people, hurt people. And so I don't blame them necessarily, but it does isolate those of us who still want to remain Christian. Yeah, I I think that you're 100% right on that. And I think that you being able to take the lead and, you know, stand up and, and be a face for that, I think that that's brave, you know. I think that I think that it's something that more people should be willing to do for things that they believe in. You know, I mean, I think far too often we're told, I mean, even, even sometimes in faith, I mean, that's a prime example that, hey, this is what you're supposed to do. And I think that, you know, the, the Holy Spirit moves us. You know what I mean? We know, we can, yeah. we know what is right. We know what is wrong. And especially as we grow in our faith and we get more firm in that foundation, you know, as long as that foundation is built solid, as long as we grow firm in that, I think we know what we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do. And yeah. you know, I think more people should stand up and more people should speak out about things uh, in their faith. You know, I see other faiths that, that sometimes are not uh, considered Christian, you know, I mean, or, or different things. You know, we always want to say, hey, well, why doesn't this person stand up and say what they're doing is wrong? You know, well, we have so much that we could stand up for as well and say, hey, that's not right, but yet we sometimes choose not to. And I think that's why when I say that I think you're you're brave and that I think that a lot of people won't take that. And and I think that it's I think it's admirable. I really do. So. Thank you. I worry about the health of the church just because of everything that I've seen because I do believe that the church is the bride of Christ. And I know a lot of people want to act like there's nothing ever wrong with the church and, you know, we're always under persecution and everything. But I I feel like we're going to get more persecution if we don't actually do our own house cleaning and don't actually evaluate what we as a church have done. And that's something that you know, I want to be able to help with. I want to be able to say, okay, I love everybody in the church and all of that, but we need to work on these things. And when I say we, I mean collectively all of us, including myself. And that's something that a lot of actually atheists have taken really, really well because a lot of them that I've talked to have left the church because there hasn't been proper house cleaning within the church. And Christians have not taken very well. Yeah, you know, and, and I think that, you know, that idea of persecution, you know, the Bible tells us we're going to be persecuted. And, yeah. you know, it, it, we know it's not the easiest walk. We know that it's not, everything isn't, you know, that health and wealth gospel, you know, I say some prayers and you get some money. You know, that's not, <laughs> that's not really how life goes. 
And uh, I remember I was in this this small group study with uh, an older gentleman who was mentoring me and another guy, and he told me that we we were reading verses about Christian persecution, and he told me that he had never been persecuted for being a Christian. And you know, I was fairly new in my faith at that time, and and I just couldn't imagine it because even in the short time frame that that I would have considered myself to be Christian, I had drastic life changes. You know what I mean? It, it really, I was trying to do life differently, the way that it was supposed to be done. And that meant that business was conducted differently, that relationships were different, that, you know, all of these things, I lost friends and I lost business and I lost different things over my faith. And that was a form of persecution. And, you know, this guy who's sitting here who's 60, 70 years old, tells me that in his life, all he's ever gotten is greatness from his faith. Like, I, I found that so hard to believe, and I asked him about it, and he was not pleased. <laughs> but, you know, I think that, I think that you know, persecution is something that grows us sometimes. Oh, yeah. You know, I think and... that we as, like, a culture in America especially are, like, very pain-averse when pain isn't necessarily something to have an aversion from. And we grow so much in the, in that pain and in that. And, you know, we grow in our faith and, and we grow personally. And, and have you, since you have been speaking out and since you have been, you know, kind of, kind of outspoken in, in the purity world, have you felt that you've gotten stronger? Has your faith increased? Has it, has it changed your life? The way I've described it to my my friends and family is I feel like I walked through a fire to get to dynamite, lit a match, threw it on the dynamite, and then walked away. And, like, it's all following me. That's how I feel like the book launch has been. It's just been this huge explosion of everything, and it's from all sides. And it it hurts a little bit. There's, there's a little bit of burning off of things and, and shedding the old skin and all that, and I absolutely feel like my life has changed because of it. When I finished it, um, I actually posted something and said, you know, if it doesn't change anybody's life, that's fine because writing this book changed mine. I was very, very angry and distraught before I wrote it. I had a lot of animosity towards a few of the people within the movement and a few that I grew up with and things like that. When I wrote it, um, I was expecting to maybe not even publish it. I didn't really know what I was going to do. But as I was writing it, I learned about everybody else's perspective. I learned about the sexual revolution and the things that my parents and other parents had seen beforehand and just the landscape of the world in general before uh, the purity movement was formed. And so I got a new perspective and a new respect for the, the leaders and things like that, even though I do think some of it was misguided. And so it just, the book and, you know, Jesus took a lot of my angst and pain away with that. And it's not completely gone, which I'm grateful for in a sense. Um, but it did help me to understand more about what had happened and just to help me forgive and, and move on from everything. So now you're studying the you know sexual revolution you're said you you know probably some of the women's liberation stuff and you know the kind of 60s free love what I mean, you went from you know pretty much a, a strict sex is taboo to learning about all of these other things what was your 
what was your mind going to when you're reading these things that are, you know, and it probably taught to you that are horribly sinful things? I mean, did you have any feelings, connection to that? <sighs> yes. It was a little bit complicated because before I actually did the research, I had already been through three years of college. Okay. <laughs> I started a little bit early, so I had already been introduced to people like Lacey Green. Um, some homeschooling alumni had tried to get me into a lot of sexually immoral things um, to overcorrect for what had happened. So they were giving me Lacey Green videos. They were sending me to Scarlet Teen um, to learn things, and they were all very not Christian resources. So I had already kind of had the cultural shock through college and through other alumni when it came to sexual things. And at that point, I just, when I started researching, it was more of a, I would really like to know the truth. I know one swing of the pendulum this way. I know one swing of the pendulum this way. I'd like to know who's right, where they're right, and where they're wrong and all of that stuff. So at that point, it was more of a, I would like to actually know what's going on. I'd like to know the history I'd like to know, you know, whatever the history book says about it morally or or not, I'm going to actually, you know, align it with God's word and see what's up here. And so at that point in time, I didn't have as many emotions about researching. But before that, you know, there was a lot of stuff. I got bullied in college because I didn't know um, a specific condom brand. And I was 16, and I remember sitting in the in the desk and everybody was kind of laughing at me because the conversation had turned to that. It was a marketing class and somebody had made a marketing uh, video for condoms, um, but it was very, very discreet. And so I didn't know what was going on. And I asked because I was a curious little homeschooler and it went terribly wrong. <laughs> so at that point in time, you know, I, I went home crying and things like that. And there was a lot of emotions that, just kind of came out where I was very disgusted with just sexuality in general and it was very hard for me to be affectionate and to have emotions at all. I ended up developing some autoimmune issues because I suppressed a lot of my emotions after going through all of that. So it was it was quite the journey um, getting to the point to actually research the sexual revolution. I had already been through quite a bit. Yeah, I think, you know, I didn't, I when I was in college, I didn't major in sociology, but I took some sociology classes. And I remember, you know, you have to study sexual deviance and you have to study all of these things. You know, uh, when I was, when I was going through college, it was kind of the beginning of gay rights and trans rights and these things. I remember we had to pick a topic to do um, a research paper on. And, and I wrote a paper um, that was pretty much that was about heterosexuality and how, you know, that if you, if you took the clinical definition of homosexuality, it was sexual deviance. It deviates from the sexual norm, right? And, and I presented this paper in front of, you know, 60 people and it didn't, it didn't go over so great, but it was backed up. It wasn't, it wasn't slanderous. It wasn't hateful or hurtful. You know what I mean? But it was not politically correct. And, you know, at, at that time, I think I might have been just trying to get a stir out of somebody. But, I, you know, I'd, I'd like to think that I'd, I'd stand strong. And I'd probably more be more tactful with it now that I've got a little bit more age on me. But, you know, at the time, you know, there was still it was rough. And so and, and being somebody who who is of faith, you know, sometimes it's easy for us to get misconstrued as hateful when 
Yeah. At least, you know, me and, and most of the people that I know try to be the total opposite of that. I want to show the, the love and those things. And I think that in your approach to what you're doing, I think that it comes from that loving area where, you know, there were people who were hurt and, you know, you're just letting them know, hey, you're, you're not wrong. You're right. People love you. You know what I mean? I think that, I think that it comes from a really good place. So now I know that for a long time I was emotionally stunted, probably in a, in a different way than you. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't mean in a, in a bad way towards you, but like I was emotionally stunted. I didn't connect very well. I didn't feel emotion. You know, there was a death in the family. It didn't, I didn't grieve like people feel things like they're supposed to. And I know that yeah. in, in my relationship with my wife, that was a really difficult time because, you know, and, and I have since tried to get far more in touch with that emotion and feel the things that other people feel. But in the beginning of our relationship, when we were still trying to, to figure things out, I didn't have that emotional connection. And, you know, and it, I mean, you know, for me, it comes from my past. You know what I mean? You were, there were things yeah. that you put up to guard yourself. And when you went through an emotion or you went through a loss or a tragedy, you didn't allow yourself to get hurt. And that, that carried over into my everyday life. And so with my wife and trying to understand why I sometimes came off extremely cold, it was, it was hard. And so with your husband, when you guys got married, like, is that something that you guys had to work through then was to try to get through that, that emotional connection? Yes, absolutely. We had a lot of problems and we don't talk about like the specific details much because yeah, I know. he's very private, but, um, we, we did have a little bit of a tough time. I, I was really the one who had a tough time because for the most part, I mean, one of the main things that we had an issue with was virginity and purity were conflated in terms of terms and definitions and things. So they would tell you, you know, wait until you're married um, to have sex um, or, you know, stay pure until you're married. But the whole stay pure until, until you're married thing sounds like you're not pure when you get married. So I had an identity crisis <laughs> after we got married because I was no longer quote unquote pure. And we'd worked for that for years to stay that way. So it was very, very interesting because there wasn't a lot of talk about the positive side of sex and things like that. So it was, it was hard for me because I, I had some issues just with identity at that point in time and being affectionate and things like that because I never really learned how. I never really learned that it was a good thing and all of that. Well, I think that. I definitely, definitely yeah. had problems there. Well, and I know that, you know, in, 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 you know, when we're doing the podcast, you know, I have a lot of people who open up about a lot of very, very hard things. And, yeah. you know, in conversations that I've had off, off of the show with people and, and even people who have been on the show. And a lot of times I'll ask people, you know, I, I feel really honored that people come and take their time and they talk with me. So I never want to put somebody in a position where they're horribly uncomfortable. You know what I mean? I don't want, I don't want to put you in a place where, anybody feels bad. And so I usually I ask somebody, I say, hey, is there anything that you don't want to talk about? And I would yeah. tell you that most everybody says, I don't want to talk about sexual relationships. I don't want to talk about, you know what I mean? And that's, that's, the, that's the number one thing. And so, so honestly, we haven't touched on that a lot on the show. 
because it is one of those things that that some people i think even even adults sometimes are a little shy on you know what i mean because it's the private kind of thing i remember i had a high school group one time and we would have kind of a quick sex ed night like i, I can't think of a good way to put it but pretty much we would put forth you know what do you, what do the kids want to talk about and open it up and as an adult we would field conversations and field the questions for those conversations and one yeah. one year we didn't have enough adults and so we as a group made the decision that we would have a mixed every year before we have always separated the boys and the girls and but we yeah. did we didn't have enough women we didn't and so we you know the only thing that we could do was have mixed groups and you know in the groups that not all of them were and i offered to take one of the mixed groups and i'm going to tell you that that was one of the best conversations I've ever had in that topic with youth. And I know that some people get, uh, you know, a little nervous that, well, you had boys and girls, you know, but it was a facilitated conversation. (laughs) It didn't go anywhere. But the one thing that I think we got out of it that we've never got anywhere else was towards the end of the conversation, I opened it up and I said, all right, so, you know, all of you, you know, they all knew each other. All of you girls know these guys. All you guys know these girls. What are the questions that you would want to ask a girl or a guy that you don't want to ask in public? Like, this is a safe place to do it. Do it. And those kids sat and talked for a long time. You know, I mean, everything from, like, how do I know if somebody has a crush on me? Is this inappropriate? You know, like, if I said this to a girl, you know, would that would that make her sad? You know what I mean? Like, you know, just stuff that, just stuff that is not normal. But then so many people kind of turn their head at the idea that you're having this, you know, sex is, you know, it's not just, it's not a conversation that involves intercourse. It's a conversation that revolves around relationships with the opposite sex, I guess is a good way to put it. But it was, it was fantastic. And, And I wish that there was more opportunities for things like that. And so that's why I was so excited to hear that that you were kind of moving forward in that realm because I think there's so many good things. Yeah, I really enjoy being kind of in this area because there's nobody like me here, really. That's it. So, So now on your podcast, what do you cover for topics on there? So I've done a couple different topics. We actually decided recently that we were going to go ahead and make it a weekly thing. So we're doing every Friday, I think, now, which I'm really excited about. But let's see. We've done – I've done one on modesty. I've done one on kind of the hangups that you can get after growing up in treaty culture in terms of sex life. I've done everything wrong with the I Kiss Saying Goodbye book. Um, I did one recently on failed courtships. I did one on um, self-harm coming out of purity culture, which is actually my most popular episode. You know, <laughs> that's really a, kind of surprised about. Yeah, sorry to kind of interrupt your flow there, but that's no, you're good. that uh, was something that I was not prepared for when I started working with youth with self-harm. And, you oh, know, being no. being a little bit younger than me, I, you know, I probably, in when I worked with high school, I probably have kids that are that are 21 now. And so that's kind of the age group when, that I was in when I was working with it. I think that that is something that didn't really exist 
that I knew of very well when I was growing up. And, you know, the, the amount of kids who are cutters, um, you know, or, you know, just the uh, eating disorders or, you know, different things like that. I didn't, I was not aware of, especially the physical self-harm side of things. And I, is that a new, a newer kind of escape mechanism or has it been around for a long time? I think it's, mm, I don't know. I think definitely it's more new. I don't remember any of my parents' generation. I don't know any stories about about that sort of thing from them. And I've actually heard from a couple of people like my uncle. Um, I remember one time he said, you know, the biggest thing we did when we were young was run away, and that lasted all of five minutes. Um, I, I could never imagine, you know, being a 12-year-old and trying to kill myself. And I kind of was really shocked to hear him say that because, you know, all of my friends struggle, almost all of them, with either self-harm or suicide or some kind of mental health disorder. So I don't know if it's a this generation thing, but I I guess, I, I would guess so from what I know, from what I've heard. And I think it might be because we're getting further and further away from healthy communication because of technology, because a lot of issues that come out of purity culture and a lot of the addictions and mental health disorders and things come from a lack of appropriate community, a lack of a real community. You know, you talking about the, I couldn't imagine doing that when I was younger. And that's kind of the same boat that I'm in, you know, and, and growing up, I had a, I had a lot of friends who had passed um, young, you yeah. know, whether it was, most of it was violent crime or abuse related, you know, uh, substance abuse related and yeah you know it was almost like we had a fight going on somewhere else we didn't i couldn't imagine doing those things to me because somebody else is going to try and i'm going to you know and you know i struggled with the idea of kind of being masculine and having bravada and these things and that was a fight i had a fight over there i'm not going to do that internally you know and so that was yeah that's just a different kind of kind of mentality or a different kind of thinking that I don't I don't get but everybody everybody works a little different and I know one of the other questions I really wanted to go into you with too was like the idea of your self-image does yeah does that in that realm of things like I know that in my life and I know it's super masculine now that I'm talking about it but like body dysmorphia you know what I mean like I I have never seen myself, you know, I, I've been I've been a big guy, I've been a muscular guy at almost 300 pounds. I didn't see myself as being that overweight, right? And and now that I'm down under 200 pounds, I sometimes look at myself and think, oh, I I got something to lose here. But when I was 100 pounds heavier, I didn't think I had any. You know what I mean? And yeah, you know, the 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 idea of you know, your body image, has that come into play with some of the work that you've been doing? Absolutely. I actually suffer from anorexia nervosa myself. So <laughs> I know a little bit about that. Um, and I actually developed it because of um, a couple different things, really. But one of them being the modesty part of purity culture. So we had to dress, you know, basically from head to toe. And, you know, um, we to actually be asked to wear long sleeves and jeans to go swimming, the girls did. And so there was a lot to, one of the things I talk about in the book was 
one of my acquaintances and friends got raped. And she was much younger than the guy who raped her. And I think it was about five years. And what happened was after that, after she got raped, everybody said it was her fault. And I continually heard that throughout the years where it was her fault. She she did something. She let him on. She wore something provocative. And so the modesty rules got tighter and tighter and tighter. And at that point in time, I got really scared. And I was like, wow, okay, so if I wear something and get raped, it's my fault. Even if I'm wearing a sack, <laughs> so my fault. And so I got into this mindset of, okay, I can't decide what I'm going to wear. Besides that for me. But I can decide what my weight is and what I look like under the clothes. So I wanted to attract the attention of this one boy. And because of all the factors that were at play, I dropped about 30 pounds, sorry, 20 pounds in a month or two, I think. Wow. And I got down to, I think, a 15-mi. And I started growing the white hair all over me and all that sort of thing in my heart started beating irregularly and at that point in time that's actually when my husband came in um not long after and he saved my life um he is a registered dietitian and he I kind of told him what was going on but I played it off as it was my twin sister I do have a twin sister but it wasn't her that I was talking about <laughs> but I, I told him what was going on and I was like I'm really worried about her and all this stuff because I thought I was dying and really I was and so he gave me a BMI chart um formula to use and he fed me raisins every day after church and after Bible study and he just fed them to me like one at a time all day long to get food into me um, so they wouldn't get receding syndrome and so he basically saved my life um, and he was with somebody else at the time and I was waiting for somebody else so we weren't a couple and we, we couldn't be a couple for two more years so we had a really really strong friendship we were best friends based on you know everything that had happened and he, he nursed me back to health so yeah I, I, I do know a little bit about uh, body dysmorphia and uh, a lot of my friends have ended up my female friends developed some kind of eating disorder as well out of out of purity culture and I also know a few men who have developed I don't even know what it would be called because I know men get eating disorders I'm not sure I would technically classify their anorexia but they do feel like they're fat or they're overweight or whatever or they're not masculine enough there was a there was kind of a toxic masculinity that I feel like was in purity culture so I've I've seen it on both sides there and I think that that idea of you know masculinity is is something that is hard to take in and I feel fortunate you know I hear I hear stories about young girls who were who were raped or abused or you know these relationships you know the things that happen within these these younger relationships and in my life growing up even non-christian and and not in faith i was around a lot of men who i don't know if you classify it as toxic masculinity but it was your job as a man to care for a woman you know like she is something that needs to be taken care of and cared for you know and so in growing up in my life i have always seen women as as something that should be cherished and something that should be taken care of i mean to the point where whatever you had to do to stop an abuse you know if 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 i seen i think i would still struggle if i seen a man hit a woman while i was out somewhere that i could not just walk by you know it is like i see that as my job to make sure that I stand up for her. And I hope that that's not 
talk. I don't really, you know, I hear toxic masculinity. I don't really totally understand it. And I, maybe that's me being, me, me, me being a man, but you know, and you know, and I, I worry about that stuff, but um, you know, I think that there's a, a time and a place and, and, you know, as far as like the, the idea of the purity side of things, the is even not being Christian sexualizing women was not appropriate, you know, and I realized that that was kind of yeah. an, an odd stance for a kid, but, you know, it was not appropriate because that woman is important and, you know, she, she's somebody's mom, she's somebody's daughter and it, she could be yours. You know what I mean? And so that's uh yeah, it was definitely a, a different, different line of thinking. And, and honestly, as, as much as some things were not, great with that with that group of people that I'm running around with that is one thing that I took from it and and really wholeheartedly believe that it is important and you know and I hope that's something that I can instill in my boys is that women women are like gold you know I mean I have a wife who is who is fantastic you know she takes such good care of me and my house and I don't go without because she allows me to be able to pursue my dreams and I allow her to be able to pursue hers and we're just a, a team you know and so for yeah. I think that sometimes women undervalue themselves and I don't I mean don't let me put words in your mouth for it but I think sometimes women undervalue themselves and how important they are you know even even the idea like when we started up you said that you know you were a stay-at-home mom you were a housewife my wife works part-time right now and so she stays at home most of the time that is a job that i could not do <laughs> you know chasing the kids and keeping the house up and and doing all the things that a housewife has to do or you know it's that's a hard job i couldn't imagine it and on top of it you're raising the children that we need to make sure turn out fantastic, you know, and that's, <laughs> if I mess up at work, I get to come home and forget about it. You know, when, when a, when a stay at home mom messes up, it doesn't go away, you know? And so I think, <laughs> I think that there's, I think there's so much value. I think there's so much value in, in what, what they do. And, and I hope that, I hope that just because a woman makes choices to, to do something differently, than what society says, you know, that you should be out, you know, trying to make a living and do these things and we prioritize our children and our, our relationships. I think that there's so much more involved in that and importance in that than there is in going out and doing paperwork, you know, working for working for some company that doesn't appreciate you. Yeah, yeah. I I actually have the best of all worlds for the most part because I do, you know, writing stuff and podcasts which is just a hobby for me, really. And then, you know, I take care of my son. I also cook a lot because we have food allergies, so we can't really buy anything prepared. Um, but I also, we bought a business last year, I think it was. And so I also get to do, go out and do actual work with, like, watering cans to go and water plants at different places. So I, I literally can pick whatever I want to do whenever. I'm I'm spoiled rotten. My husband spoils me so much. So, yeah, I I really love just kind of being in all worlds. Although it gets me in trouble sometimes because stay at home moms will occasionally be like, Oh, well you're technically a working mom <laughs> So I get I get stunned from those circles and then the working moms are like, Well, you're technically a stay at home mom <laughs> So they don't like me either. <laughs> that's just crazy. It's cool with me though. <laughs> yeah, well you know what? As long as you guys are happy and you're happy and 
you know, the sun, the sun comes up. I think that, I think that what you're doing is good. You can laugh about it. You can smile about it. And, you know, that's, that's more than some people can say. So, um, I, I, I real quick though, before, I think we probably need to get this thing wrapped up here shortly, but I would love for people to be able to know how to find your podcast, because I think that you, we, we brush the surface. I think that in listening to your show, they're going to find so much more insight. Where can they find that at? Yeah, so you can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. I don't know how to find it on Google Play because I don't have a Google Play device, but uh, you can type in on Stitcher in any web browser, and you can look on iTunes, and it's the Scarlet Virgin Podcast. Okay, and then your book, you, you, you've had your book out for like a month now. If somebody is interested yeah. in your book, um, do you come – I mean, I know you got contacted by a church. Are you interested in – coming and speaking to groups about purity culture? Yes. I actually have the public speaking page on my website at scarletvirgins.com. Okay. Just email me or call the number there. All right. That sounds fantastic. So I'm going to get this thing wrapped up, and uh, we'll get out of here. And I can't tell you how much I really appreciate you taking your time to sit and talk with me. Yeah, absolutely. I had so much fun. <laughs> All right, Rebecca. Well, hey, thank you so much. I'm sure I'll get to see you online soon. And hopefully if some people are interested, uh, they can find your book on your website, find your find your podcast, and uh, they know how to get a hold of you. So let's, uh, let's wrap this thing up, and you have a wonderful night. Thank you. See you, too. All right. Thank you, Rebecca. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed Rebecca's show. Um, she is very active online. So I know there's probably some questions, probably some dialogue that could be opened up about that. I'm sure she would be happy to answer those. So feel free to put them up on the Facebook page, um, anywhere that you can find her. And I'll put a link to her in the descriptions in case you guys are interested in any of her books or anything along those lines. Remember to stay up to date with us on the webpage at godwatchlive.com. And again, have a great week and be blessed.